0: Now, it's time for the Cybersecurity News Bite with Jim Guckin. Cybersecurity News Bite episode number 76. For November 27th, 2023, three critical own cloud vulnerabilities you need to know about an Indian app used by schools leaks data, Windows Hello fingerprint issues, and Black Cat claims the Fidelity National Finance attack. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am your paltry host, Jim Guckin. welcome to another Cybersecurity News Byte show this week. We talk about the stories from last week that I think you need to pay attention to for this upcoming week. Um, bunch of great stories this week. I'm actually really excited to get into it. So without further ado, if you are a user of OwnCloud, there are three critical vulnerabilities that you need to know about. Now, before you start, if you don't know what OwnCloud is, it is an open source file sharing software. You know, if you want to share files, you might have heard of them. Uh, open source, meaning you're able to see the code and everything along those lines. Um, the three critical ones come in three different kind of apps that they have going on. Um, the first one's called Graph API App. Uh, the CVSS score on it is a 10 out of 10. Uh, And the impacted versions are 0.2.0 to 0.3.0. So they're not, granted, they're not full versions, because not like one or two in there. It's still something they're working on. But this vulnerability is still something you need to pay attention to. And this all happens uh, because there is a third-party library uh, that it uses to provide a URL. Um, The URL... Uh, is accessed um, by a malicious actor and then that reveals the configuration details of the PHP environment. So PHP is a uh, coding language. I know people are going to get upset when I say coding language. It is a coding language on the web for websites. You, you may see it when you ever go somewhere and the uh, ending of the file name is .php, meaning that it, it, there's probably some dynamic elements to it. And the PHP info is the kind of the configuration page that shows you a whole bunch of information, including any kind of variables that are set in the coding of that. Meaning you might be able to use those to kind of do evil things. The worst part is, is if you use graph API in a containerized deployment, that the environmental variables include very sensitive information, which you may not want people to get like the own cloud admin password, the mail server credentials, and the license key. So, uh, not the best. But, uh, good thing is, is OwnCloud gives you a fix for it. They recommend that you delete um, a file in the OwnCloud slash apps slash graph API slash vendor slash Microsoft slash Microsoft dash graph slash tests. And the is called get. info.php. I don't expect you to memorize this. You can always go after the show to the show notes for the uh, for the show. Uh, and it will have the path in there. Um, You can also disable the PHP info function, meaning that they can't get that information. Um, But if you have been using it, uh, they highly recommend that you change the the secrets that may be contained in this configuration. So your own cloud admin password, the mail um, and database credentials that may be in there, and any kind of object store or S3 access keys that may possibly be in there. For the second app that they're they're kind of letting you know about, it's called WebDAV, WebDAV API. It has a CVSS score of 9.8 out of 10. This impacts uh, versions of the core application 10.6.0 to 10.13.0. So if you have those versions, this is to you. And this pretty much allows an attacker to access, modify or delete any files. The only thing that they have to know is the username of the victim. Um, and so the attack is, is I know your username and you didn't configure a signing key. Now that is the default configuration by default. When you set up users, there is no signing key. If those, so if you have a signing key, not vulnerable to it. But if I know that your usernames are generally your first initial last name, then yeah, someone might be able to use this to kind of modify access to delete files on there. Once again, 9.8 out of 10, very bad. Um, the third application is called OAuth 2. It has a CVSS score of 9.9 9 out of 10, and it impacts versions of OAuth 2 under 0.6.1. So 0.6.1 and older, you're good with. A- and this is a improper access control, meaning it doesn't validate some things that it should validate. So a malicious actor can pass a specifically crafted URL, a redirect URL to the system. The code doesn't validate that it should be what it expects. And it can redirect uh, its communications back to a top level domain or a TLD, uh, which is controlled by the malicious actor and then they can do all sorts of evil things with it. Uh, So those are the three. Graph API, WebDAV, and OAuth 2 are the real big ones. Now in what is clearly a another bad thing for this uh for own cloud uh there was a proof of concept uh code for uh, another vulnerability in their crush ftp uh app uh, it's tracked as cve 2023 20, 43177 doesn't have a cvss score yet but it's up there and it allows an unauthenticated attacker to access files run programs. Uh, And acquire any plain text passwords. Uh, Now, the good thing is, is this is all fixed in version 10.5.2 that was released back in August. So if you update it since uh, August 10th, you're good. Um, So those are the kind of things you have to watch out for, uh, for own cloud. And, you know, they're not, I mean, they're very blatant things that they can be done with them. They're very evil things that can be done with them. They are considered very critical um, vulnerabilities, but they're easy to fix. So. Please just make sure, like always, we talk about you update the software that you need so that, you know, you're kind of avoiding this stuff. So for our second story this week, it's, it's kind of think about the children kind of story. Um, and I, I laugh because when I first read the article and you can get the article from the, uh, the show notes for the show, um, it didn't say it was an Indian app. It was just saying a school app leaks children's data. And that was, you know, as a parent, as someone who has kids. That kind of shocked me. It doesn't make it any better that this is an Indian app, because I'm sure the same kind of problems probably exist all over the place. And we'll talk about that, because it's not, it's not something we haven't talked about on the show before. It, it, is, it is strictly misconfiguration. So this was brought to us by the Cyber News, who did a recent investigation. And the company that makes this app is called AppsCook, A-P-P-S-Cook, C-O-O-K. They're an application developer and they have a whole bunch of apps that are used in about 600 schools across India and Sri Lanka. Uh, A lot of this is around education management. Uh, They have 96 school specific apps, uh, mostly for like supporting online classes or enabling direct communication between parents and schools. Um, This could go as simple as, you know, your child's performance, the daily activities, homework. If you're a parent, Nowadays, it's almost impossible not to have one of these kind of apps um, that you're you used to communicate with the teachers. Um, I have them with my kids. I, I get you know updates for them. They get points. They get all the stuff as they go along. So that's why it's still, even though it's not an app that I use, it still concerns me because of small, simple configurations. Um, so this misconfiguration actually came in uh, App Cook's uh, Digital Oceans environment. Um, It was a misconfiguration allowing anyone without any kind of authentication to access the data. And the data had stuff like students' names, uh, names of the parents, pictures of students, uh, some of them attending uh, pre-primary, primary, primary, and secondary schools, the names of the schools that the children attend, birth certificates, uh, fee receipts, student report cards, and exam results, Home addresses and phone numbers, and in today's today's day and age, those are not things that you want some creepy person on the internet having access to. And it's really scary. Uh, and and I don't I'm not going to fear monger here because um, there's a lot of evil things you can do, um, but I, I will just touch over the top of it. Um, you can you can kind of use social engineering to kind of exploit. Um, parents into paying money they shouldn't pay or 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 saying something happened to their kids Uh, the fact this data tells you where these kids are on a daily basis and what they look like so if you were going to be someone evil on the internet you would know exactly what who you know what kid looked like what and have the information to try to convince them that you know something um and then you know your general just random social engineering kind of attacks they can person impersonate school officials they can uh, manipulate the children and the parents to doing what they want. Like, hey, you know, I, I'm so-and-so's teacher. We, you know, you, did this. you had this. You had your math test last week. You know, you live here. Your parents' names are this. Like, think of the information that you can use for that. Um, for not necessarily the dark, evil things, but just for random social engineering attacks. To be able to get money out of people. Uh, or to be able to you know, made them load something on their computer. This is the stuff out there that is always bad. You know, whether it's an adult or anything is bad. But when you're talking about school-age children, not even um, high school children, I'm assuming secondary school means like the, 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 the middle school kids. I could be wrong. It could be high school kids. And even then, high school kids are still kids. They are not over the age of 18. So you generally don't want this information being available to people, uh, with, you know, not the best attentions and the article shows like pictures of the database. Now at the time I'm recording this, there hasn't been any indication that people had accessed it or took it. Um, but I don't expect anyone to be forthcoming with that off the bat and maybe something we find out later. Um, so it's just, you know, when you're setting up applications or you're setting up websites or you're setting up, any kind of data repository that's gonna be accessed by people outside of your network um hire a pen test company hire someone who can try to get in just to make sure uh that you have done everything you possibly can to make sure no one's going to get into that data especially when you're talking about minor data like this that's just not something anyone wants and and, and really it doesn't matter what company you are because if it, if you're a bank it's not something you want if it's If you're an online poster of stuff, none of these are things that you want happening to your customer base. For our third story this week, um, the Windows Hello feature, uh, you know, a lot of people use this for personal things. I haven't really seen it so much in a business context, but I'm assuming there might be businesses out there who want to use it. So you get a laptop, uh, Windows Hello has a bunch of different features to allow you to log on Sans a normal password, whether it is a pin code, whether it is a drawing that you do, um, whether it is a fingerprint, whether it recognizes your face. It gives you that way to get into a computer without the normal uh, password that you may need. And the interesting thing about this story was that it was actually found by Microsoft's uh, offense research and security engineering team in conjunction with a group called the Blackwing Intelligence. And what they did was they wanted to see, you know, is there a way to bypass that Windows Hello and get into a, get into a computer without knowing anything about it? And they chose to kind of attack the fingerprint bypass or fingerprint authentication. They bypassed the fingerprint authentication, as the words are meant to say. And what this means is um, for those that have Windows Hello set up and they just have to put their finger on a little square on the laptop, it then allows them to get into it. So in this test, these two groups took three different laptops, a Dell Inspiron 15 uh, with a Goodix fingerprint sensor, a Lenovo ThinkPad T14S with a Synaptics sensor and a Microsoft Surface Pro X, uh, which has an Elan uh, sensor and I want to just say before we even talk about the results, I love the fact that they actually tested a Microsoft product, uh, because it'd be very easy and and kind of biased to just try everyone else's and go, look, it doesn't work on theirs. Um, but yeah, it's wasn't the best. Um, they, they got into all three. They bypassed these three laptops were able to, um, get onto those machines. Now, Uh, For people like me who may not get why those specific three, uh, what was the mindset of the people trying to break in? uh, There's a technology called match on chip, meaning your fingerprint sensor has a chip and memory built into it. Nothing is sent to the computer. Everything's kind of done in that little square that you put your finger on. I mean, obviously all the stuff underneath it, but you get it. The fingerprint data never leaves the sensor. The sensor does everything and it just passes on good or bad to the computer to unlock it. So to start off the attacker would need physical access to these targeted devices, meaning they got the laptop and they can do what they want with it. There's a lot of ways of doing it. They could, you know, do this while you're in the bathroom or along those other things, but these are kind of not your basic attacks. They're a little more complex. Um, one fact in involved connecting a hacking device to a laptop via USB. Uh, And there were some connecting fingerprint sensors to a specially crafted rig. So, I mean, these are not stuff that necessarily can be done quickly. If they get your laptop for a period of time, like you leave your hotel room, these are kind of some of the targeted attacks that could happen if you're going to be out for like an hour or two. And they can kind of take it out, do what they need, and put it back. Um, But you're going to, you have a chance of knowing your laptop's missing. So with the Dell and the Lenovo ones, every fingerprint has a, valid ID assigned to it and what the attackers did was just enumerate they keep throwing at uh, valid IDs that are associated with the fingerprints and finally once it found a legitimate user ID they enrolled the attacker's fingerprint so now it thinks that's the person who legitimately should have it and boom they're in now with the surface the Microsoft Surface Pro X They had to unplug the uh, cover, the keyboard cover, which has a fingerprint sensor in there. And then they connected a USB device that spoofs the fingerprint sensor and just sends a message saying, hey, this user's good. Log in. Do I think this is the end of Windows Hello or fingerprint IDs? No. As I said, these attacks are not something that can be done quick. They take time. And you really need to kind of get a... handle around that laptop for a period of time. That's not short, but if you're leaving stuff that, you know, you may not be back for a couple hours or you leave it unlocked. These can be vulnerable to those kind of tech, you know, break into your hotel room, do what they need to do. So really what it comes down to is make sure that your, your laptops have another form of, of um, authentication to it is a BitLocker, at, you know, at BIOS. Another good way. Cause you can't get by that. You have to type the password in, um, But these are things you have to think about to add to an addition of it. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't just get along with it, especially if you're Bob from some boring company. They may not want to get access to your your laptop, but it's just showing you people are getting trickier. And this is actually Microsoft themselves trying to figure out how to get into this laptop um, and figuring ways out with it. So it's not totally unheard of. It's not hard. There is a little bit of... Um, skill involved here so your, your average person off the streets not going to do that but we, we always talk about the you know the advanced persistent threat groups the the government back groups and how they're better funded and more determined these are kind of attacks that they may take on if they really wanted the data that you have um, and you have to just ideal um, have a good idea of where your where your uh, your risk factor is Bob who makes flanges, you know, they might want to just take the laptop. It's probably not anything else. But if you have, you have work in the defense industry, it makes you a little bit of a higher target that you have to watch out for these kind of things. But more often than not, you probably have, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that you have better security on your laptop to begin with. Um, but just be aware, Windows Hello, not, not infallible. Um, it can easily be cracked with enough patience. For our final story this week, uh, I want to talk about a... Fortune 500 company who Black Cat, Alf V, the popular gang who've done a whole bunch of stuff recently, uh, have claimed to have hacked. It's called Fidelity National Finance. Um, Said Fortune 500 company, $11 billion in total revenue back in 2022. They do title insurance and settlement services uh, for real estate and mortgage industries. Well, they had to put out an 8K filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. Um, I, I don't know why they had to. There's a rule coming up saying that if you if you're hacked, you have to let people know via this form. But it's not currently in 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 use right now. But they filed out this 8K filing. Um, it's shut down several of their systems, disrupting various uh, areas of business and and it had a material impact on them. Now the 8K filing uh, that you have to require if you have shareholders and you need to report to the SEC um, is a a new thing coming in the new year, I believe. Um, But it is a new thing that businesses are going to have to deal with. And it's funny because they don't have to do it, but they released it. But then if you look at the 8K that they released on their investors page, it is so, and we talked about this a lot on the show, it is so vague. One, because they have to get it out within four days of discovering it. Two, they don't want to give any information out from an incident response perspective. They don't have to. Um, So, this was just an interesting one where it's like very vague saying, Yeah, something happened. Uh, We're investigating. It may have material impact. Putting this form out just in case. Like, it doesn't go into anything specific. Um, You can always feel free to take a look at it, uh, but it's not eye opening. Um, so they filed this, um, this 8k notice of something happened on November 19th. They made it public two days later, or two days later, all within the four day reporting windows we talked about. Now, Alfie or Black Cat, whatever you want to call them, on November 22nd posted to their leak blog saying, hey, we have them. Uh, they kind of poked fun at the incident response company who was Mandiant, um, trashing their reputation, saying their lack of action regarding the attack. Um, But the, the uh, Alfie uh, group gave them more time before leaking the data uh, by saying, before disclosing whether or whether or not we have not collected any data, we will allow FNF further time to get in touch. We wouldn't want to disclose every card at this early stage. We've seen this as kind of a current uh, ongoing tactic um, with these kind of groups. Um, you know, they, 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 they flaunt out that they have it, but then they're kind of iffy on sharing the information because they want to try to negotiate in good faith. Um, so if you knew kind of at the end of last week, you may have been impacted if you're a company or a home buyer who was unable to close on their purchases because they were being done by Fidelity National Finance. Um, this was just because the systems were down and they were, and you had to kind of wait for people to come back up. Now, I know last week, the speculation was everything would be up Sunday. I don't know if it's come if it's come back up yesterday or not. Um, but once this isn't backed up, people will go back to normal business. Now, I thought it was interesting because there was a speculation that Citrix bleed, uh, which is a vulnerability, might have been part of the way that uh, Alfie got in. Um, Kevin Beaumont, a security researcher, we've talked about him on the show before, um, did a shodan scan of the NetScaler boxes at Fidelity National Finance and found out that they did patch the Citrix Bleed um, vulnerability two weeks after it came out. So maybe it did, maybe it didn't, maybe they got in before the patch was there and then they're running through the systems. There's a whole lot of ifs. Um, and as I said, if the company releases it, we may find out. More than likely they're going to keep tight-lipped through this entire thing. We'll never figure out how this actually happened. Um, but if you're curious, Citrix bleed is tracked as CVE 2023 4966. It allows a unauthenticated attacker to send a um, specially crafted request to the Netscaler ADC or gateway instance. Uh, it obtains a valid session token, meaning that the system now thinks it's, it is a user on the system and it bypasses any kind of authentication you don't need you don't need username passwords you don't need mfa this bypasses it so citrix bleed is a very bad vulnerability so patch if you if you're you know in that boat but um that is speculation how they got in we do not know for sure and as i said more than likely we will never know for sure um a lot of companies who get breached do not um do not leak the data out. They do not say what happened. Um, they keep it as very um, close as possible. Now, we've I've said that on the show before, and then some companies have come out. So if we find out that they do kind of have a discussion on what happened or give us more clues, uh, I will try to talk about it on the show because it, it, it is an interesting thing to study a incident because then you kind of find how you prepare for it or how you would react in that scenario. You can kind of put yourself through the ringer. Um, but it's not advantageous. Uh, these eight days um, while this is done pre requirement, it will be kind of interesting to see what it would look like after the rules fully in effect, you know, what information are they going to require? Or is it just saying, Hey, there was some kind of incident. We're letting you know, we don't know much more than that at this point, if that's going to become the norm. Um, because you, y- said as a security person you don't want to necessarily tip your hand on what systems you had what were vulnerable um what your patching may have looked like Um, you want to try to keep that as close to the chest as possible which is why most incidents don't release a lot of information about what happened so um, we'll just have to kind of wait and see and hopefully we get some more information about this but uh, another big thing of please make sure you update your systems especially in the if you're uh if you have to report to the sec uh in the upcoming year that you were breached Um, You don't want to be making that kind of notification. So please make sure you patch everything as quick as possible. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, You can always find out more on our website at cybersecuritynewsbyte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Um, From there, you'll find all of our past shows as well as the show notes, uh, which has the stories and my kind of notes that I use to, to do the show all available under that show's title. Um, the links will be great if you want to do some more information. Like, for example, the first story um, with the vulnerabilities from OwnCloud. I have OwnCloud's own advisories for each of those ones. So uh, it's a very good resource for you to use. If you want to reach out and contact me, you can always reach out to me, me, at JimGucken.com. If you want to learn about me personally, you can always go to my website, JimGucken.com. Uh, please make sure you stay safe online, and we'll talk again next week. You've been listening to the Cybersecurity News Byte with Jim Guckin. Learn more about our show at CybersecurityNewsbite.com.